Coming to you live from Colorado State University, welcome to the AgNext podcast, episode two. Today's guest, we have Dr. Sarah Place with us, a feedlot system specialist at AgNext here at Colorado State University. Um, we're going to let her introduce herself a little bit and um, tell us about her career path and what she's been up to and what her research looks like here at CSU. Um, so yeah, to kick us off, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself, Dr. Place? Sure. Hello. Uh, so yeah, my name is Sarah, and I am originally from upstate New York. So I grew up on a dairy farm up there. Um, so a small dairy farm, like 70 cows, and kind of spent most of my life doing that um, in terms of being in a uh, small community and taking care of animals for basically the first 20 years of my life. Mm-hmm. But um, went to a small kind of community college, ag tech school, for an associate's degree in ag business, and then ended up going to Cornell for an animal science degree. And at the time, I was, like, really focused on, like, dairy farm business management, so I kind of took more business classes and was more, um, I guess, management-focused. But I always had an interest in the environment and animal agriculture, and so I took a lot of, like, environmental classes at the same time. Um, and then ended up going kind of serendipitously to uh, UC Davis, for a PhD in animal biology, but really focused on greenhouse gas emissions from dairy cattle. Um, And that was uh, working with Dr. Frank Lerner there at UC Davis. And kind of have jumped around in my career, and we'll probably get into that, but have bounced around. And now, even though I always started off on a dairy farm and my background is dairy, and that's really kind of where I always feel comfortable, I'm known as a beef person now, right? So it's kind of an interesting uh, transition from time. Yeah, you'll have to tell us about kind of the, the switch, what, where you felt like in your career that that happened, where you kind of went from a yeah. dairy, more dairy professional to a more beef professional. Yeah, so I think kind of my first uh, real job, if you will, um, full-time job out of grad school was at Oklahoma State University, so I was a assistant professor in sustainable beef cattle systems there, and that was probably my first transition of going from, you know, dairy to beef. Hmm. Um, and that, that's kind of what helped get me started in this whole beef area, right? So I helped with beef research when I was at UC Davis and started getting into and understanding the industry better, but that was really my first foray into beef. And then since then have been basically beef focused for most of my career. So, so yeah. if we go back a little bit and how, why you went to grad school was like, yeah. how was how did that happen? Like a business management, then yeah. getting interesting yeah. environment sustainability. And yeah. That's what drove you to grad yeah. school. Yeah. So kind of the environmental interest for me has always been just because I grew up in a beautiful place, right? And mm-hmm. so I've always been interested in those things, interested in a lot of different things, um, subjects. But that one is is something that it's always been near and dear to my heart. Um, but I was in a situation where like the last semester of undergrad, I didn't know what I was going to do. Right. So I was mm-hmm. contemplating going to California and being like a nutrient management planner, which is like somebody that helps with, um, like a large dairy or large feedlot understanding, you know, what are their nutrient inputs, outputs and compliance with regulations and things like that. So I was just, I was interested in getting out of New York state and going to the West, um, but then I went to a conference, the Northeast Dairy Producers Conference, and uh, Frank Mindlener spoke there at the conference and presented on the work he was doing with air quality and cattle and uh, some issues regarding greenhouse gas emissions. And this was like 2000, I guess 2008, um, 
early 2008. And so at that same meeting, uh, Henning Steinfeld, who works at or worked at the UN Food and Agriculture Organization, spoke. And so he was the main author of a report called Livestock's Long Shadow. Mm-hmm. And so he was there and then Frank was there and just con- kind of providing context about like what is the actual footprint of um, animal agriculture and specifically on greenhouse gas emissions. And so I found that fascinating because I I'm interested in and care about climate change kind of independent of uh, animal agriculture. But then um, seeing that research and knowing that it was taking place, I was just super intrigued by it. It's um, like an aha of like, oh, wow, yeah. these things actually do go together. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 And so I just kind of went up and introduced myself to Frank right after the he spoke and was like, hey, I'm really interested in this. And, you know, what, what does it take to, to kind of study this topic? And ended up, I think, within like 10 days, had submitted my application to grad school and took the GRE. So not a lot of preparation <laughs> GRE but for that situation. But yeah. But it worked yeah. out okay. Yeah. 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 So were, you, were you involved yeah. in any research before? or that's Yeah. So that's a good question. So I was um, I was involved with a, uh, a group that is since it was in crop science and now it's moved into animal science at um, Cornell. It's called the Nutrient Management Spear Program. Mm-hmm. And so they focus more on nutrient management issues. Um, so I did a research internship with Cornell Cooperative Extension and so more on like, you know, testing soil for nitrate, nitrogen mm-hmm. in corn and these type of things, right? Sulfur and supplementation of corn and all this other kind of stuff. So more on the crop side, but that was uh, an integration of animal agriculture and crop agriculture. So mm-hmm. I've always found that interesting to the systems kind of perspective of how yeah. agriculture works. Yeah, what a nice background, like. Like you think about you, you never close the doors for opportunities. You yeah. work in the business management crops, then you move to the dairy. Now you work with beef. That's the, that's a very good mm-hmm. take home message that you can. You don't have to set your path early on in your yeah. career. You have to be open for for new opportunities. Absolutely, yeah. I think it's it's kind of a bit always ridiculous to assume like 18, 20 year olds are going to know what they want to do, right? Yeah. Maybe your first step, but just m- more just going through, you know, and, and never never shutting the door, as you say, right? Yeah, keeping, keeping the door open is really important. Oh, that's that's very interesting. One, so we've, we we you mentioned earlier on that one of the things that's interesting you about sustainability, you grew up in that environment and things like that. And I asked this question the last podcast to Kim, and I want to ask you, what is your definition for sustainability? Mm. And if you can also tell more, more on, on not only on the background of your life, but what interests you in sustainability and animal agriculture in general? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so to start with, like, what is sustainability? Um, I think it's a classic, right? There's the three main pillars of mm-hmm. sustainability, right? So there's environmental stewardship, and that's everything from you know, obviously greenhouse gas emissions, a lot of the work we do now. Um, but for me, where I grew up, what's really important is water quality, right? So our farm is in the upper Chesapeake uh, watershed. So the Chesapeake Bay that goes down to Baltimore, um, Maryland, and is really important for uh, the ecosystem down there to not have excess nutrients, right? So things like that in environmental stewardship are a key port part of sustainability, Um, And then the social aspects of it, right, social responsibility, the community aspects of sustainability, and that's near and dear to my heart because um, just seeing the importance of agriculture in communities in upstate New York and how it Mm -hmm. creates a a thriving economy, right, or in the absence of that, how it can really decimate an economy when that goes Mm -hmm. away, Mm -hmm. is that part of it. 
Um, and then, of course, economics, which is super tied to all of those things, right? And thinking about how do people stay in business, right? Sustain their business in the long run. And that mm-hmm. economic pillar is, in reality, um, none of them are more important than the others. But if the economic pillar doesn't work, nothing works, right? And so that part is incredibly important. Agreed. Yeah. 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 So I think that um, Pedro's done a really good job of kind of laying the foundation for this next question. Um, so um, we know that you were previously with Alenco Animal Health um, as the Chief Sustainability Officer and also with NCBA. Um, and you've also worked extensively in academia at Oklahoma State um, and here at CSU. Um, we are curious what you find to be the main differences in those two areas between, um, you know, the kind of the industry side and the more of the academic side, um, in your kind of professional experience, what have you kind of seen and are there any positives or, um, anything that you've just noticed that are very different? Yeah. So, um, I think, yeah, all of those three phases are different, right? So from academia to basically a nonprofit, right, which is what NCBA is, National Cattlemen's Beef Association, and the, the beef checkoff is who I work for there, um, and then Elenco Animal Health. So they're all different in terms of what the motivators are, but the importance of science is clear throughout all three, mm-hmm. right? And so I think it's just a different job role depending on where you are, right, in academia, um, both at Oklahoma State and here, such a big part of what we do is helping to train the next generation of scientists, right? And that's mm-hmm. um, a very rewarding thing and a, a thing that takes a lot of your time when you're in academia. Um, and I think it also, it provides that leverage and that freedom, right, to be able to um, do work in different areas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas when you're in a organization that is, say, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, right, obviously I'm not going to do a lot of work on, say, sheep. Or mm-hmm. sure, styled <laughs> or something. You're pretty focused. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, that's that's one of those key things, and I think for for me, for both the National Cattlemen's Beef Association and Elenco, it was just interesting to learn about the industry from different sides of things, right? So for NCBA, I think what's fascinating is just to see the industry from that side of it of the association, the history there in terms mm-hmm. of over a hundred years of that organization being in existence. Mm-hmm. And um, seeing the policy side of it, even though I wasn't really involved in it, I'm just observing what happens on that side of it. So I think that part's fascinating. And then on the business side at Alenco Animal Health, I think it's just interesting as then, um, as you know, as a lot of folks that do get graduate degrees or do get science degrees then go into those type of companies, it's then the the reality of you can know about a bunch of processes and everything else, but you also have to build a business case for it and mm-hmm. why, you know, the why, why is this serving a customer? Why would this customer want to do business with you? And thinking about the marketing aspects of it too, right? So yeah, I think all, I find all those things fascinating and from my background of I like business and I like that. And so it made sense for me to go into that for a while. So Is that something that our business classes background helped you to understand that? Is that something that were you facing when you went to industry and CBA? Were you facing challenges that you were not expecting while you were in school? How? That yeah, it? that's a great question. I think uh, having having that background definitely helped, right? And just having that interest in business, right? And thinking about it from a standpoint of, um, <laughs> you know, coming up with a coming up with a you know a spreadsheet model like why does this make sense, right? Mm-hmm. Why are we going to do this? Who's going to pay? Why are they going to pay, right? And um, 
and learning some things there as well in terms of from a from a business perspective of always um, thinking about that problem and how you solve it and not getting so boxed into the technical like well it has to be done in this order of steps mm-hmm. no rather focus on the problem and then come up with creative ways of mm-hmm. how could you address it in different ways right mm-hmm. um, and especially in today's world in this whole like ag tech space right there's so many companies trying to do that um, coming into agriculture and seeing you know, there's some things that we do that are very antiquated, right? Or still a lot of paper mm-hmm. and everything else. And people mm-hmm. looking at this are like, why the heck are we doing this, right? So it's just fascinating to see that side of it as well of um, focusing on problems and then understanding how do you build a business around something like that. So kind of an interesting culmination of all of your um, kind of educational experiences. You've sort of dabbled in that throughout your career. And so I'm kind of curious to know what was the kind of motivator to come to Ag Next? Why why come back to academia after yeah. after being away for us for a little while? Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of it is like every time I go to a new place in my career, it's just thinking about I want to achieve this. And then once I achieve that in that role if there's not another growth opportunity I do kind of look for okay well what's next right Mm -hmm. and I think for um, my time at Alenco Animal Health um, it was you know very fascinating got to work with a great team um, was able to develop this tool called Uplook which helps Mm -hmm. um, create carbon footprints for both cattle feedlots and dairies um, and was involved a bit in um, and pretty well utilized across the industry. Yeah, yeah. 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 There's, a, there's a fair number of cattle on feed now that mm-hmm. are using that system. And um, and then also, you know, being in someone involved in the, the uh, Alenco DSM deal to get Bovair um, mm-hmm. to the United States, right? And so, mm-hmm. like, for me, that was, like, a big mm-hmm. big thing. Of Huge like, accomplishment. Yeah, yeah here's awesome. Here's this technology that now hopefully we'll have access to in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, but through that process of, you know, creating a model to, to look at carbon footprints of cattle systems, mm-hmm. you also realize there's a lot of limitations there with our current models, right? Mm, okay. They're fairly crude. There's a lot of things we still don't know, assumptions we're mm-hmm. making. Mm-hmm. And that was a big part of it for me is, well, we can keep running against this wall of saying things are not advancing or yeah. I can be a part of, how do I come back to academia and say, okay, let's push our knowledge bubble out a bit more and mm-hmm. learn some more of these things. Um, so it can create that positive feedback loop of we're learning more and understanding things, which is important, but then also mm-hmm. doing it in a way that serves to actually move the needle in the real world. Yeah, so that makes sense. Someone who will be sitting the position that you were potentially be using the data that you are generating today. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully, right? Hopefully in all my former positions, right, everything that we do here at Agnext is incredibly relevant to mm-hmm. those former positions, right? Um, and I think that's that's the reality is like in terms of pushing the – the limits of what we know and having that publicly available data and making sure it's it's mm-hmm. in service of that greater good. That's really where yeah. land grant mission, the land yeah. grant mission is, is the best. Yeah. And, and you awesome. mentioned a little bit early on about the mentorship and things like that. She being able to train people that's going to, I think that's, that's good. I think we're going to talk about later, talk about that. Yeah. But one of the, I think you mentioned one of the reasons that you've been able to push the needle when working research projects. Can you just, you've been here, we had an episode with Kim, uh, and she mentioned that Agnex is super new. You've been here for less than a year. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about the projects that you have been involved and in, things that you've been doing during this time? Yeah, yeah. So, um the the one the other cool thing about why you know why coming to Agnex and a big part of it is just the research infrastructure that's here right mm-hmm. so 
um, the Climate Start Research Facility that we have is pretty incredible in what we can do there. And that's that's where my research is mainly focused so far. And so that's that facility where we have the ability to measure individual feed intake, individual gas flux, and body weight gain on mm-hmm. you know, up to 300 animals right at a time, mm-hmm. right? And so that facility is, to me, really exciting. That's where, you know, we've done some research of just looking at feed efficiency of animals and then relating that back to um, methane emissions of animals fed on a backgrounding diet. Some of those animals are now currently in our facility feeding a finishing diet. And so we're really interested in how do those emissions change over time, Mm -hmm. right? As as an animal that's a high emitter um, on a backgrounding diet, still a high emitter on a finishing diet or not. And I'm going to have you explain that maybe one more time for folks because I don't don't know that we've talked about how novel that research is where we've had um, animals where we've measured, then they've gone out to you know, on a range or they've gone to graze and then they're coming back. So if you yeah. want to tell, tell a little bit yeah. more about kind of that piece of it, I'd be yeah. interested to know. Yeah. So I think that's also, um, yeah, that part is, that part is unique. The, the ability to measure over a hundred animals at once is incredibly unique, right? So like mm-hmm. my background of being at UC Davis, a part of my, um, PhD was building two, what are called head boxes, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To measure, methane emissions on individual animals. And so I could measure mm-hmm. two cows at once, mm-hmm. right? And so like yep. my experimental design was super truncated where I had like mm-hmm. 20 animals and it was this huge pain of trying to shift everything mm-hmm. and get 20 cows. And like, oh, I feel really good about this mm-hmm. data set, right? And we can get, you know, a couple hundred animals, um, their emissions data relatively fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and more of a kind of a more natural environment exactly. for them. Exactly. So animals are able to move around um, and just voluntarily visit all this precision equipment, right? Mm-hmm. And that that's definitely important um, from a gas emission standpoint because both the work I did at uh, UC Davis and at um, Oklahoma State looking mm-hmm. at head box systems, mm-hmm. the feed intake of the animals, when you put them in those mm-hmm. systems, even though after you train them and everything else, it can drop by 8%, 10% mm-hmm. per day. Mm-hmm. And that's really important for emissions because the amount of feed the animal eats drives a lot of those emissions. Mm-hmm. So if we're not really capturing reality in terms of feed intake, how well are we doing of capturing mm-hmm. reality of gas emissions, specifically methane, right? Mm-hmm. So so this facility here at CSU is ideal for a scientist like yourself. Yes, yes. So now we can measure lots of animals, individual animals, in a production environment that is more representative of reality of what we would see, right? So back to that idea of that circle of let's create mm-hmm. knowledge that is relevant to the actual industry, this facility is super unique in its ability to do that. So, yeah, so to your original question, <laughs> measuring animals on a backgrounding diet or a high forage diet and then on a green finish diet, one, it's to know, you know, one animal's emissions changes over time and just mm-hmm. understanding dietary differences, which are fairly well established, but just reinforcing those relationships is important. Um, but the ranking thing is important from a standpoint of genetics mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. You know, that idea of if animals are high emitters or low emitters and do they remain high or low emitters is... And you're talking about methane more specifically. specifically, yeah. Good good clarification. (laughs) So methane emissions um, is important to say, can we select animals um, that are lower emitters and they're lower emitters in a forage environment and a grain finishing environment. And so I think it will be helpful for us to know that, especially is that we're also doing, of course, a lot of grazing research and measuring emissions mm-hmm. on grass. And that's a lot more difficult research, mm-hmm. challenging research. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we, yeah, so if we learn <laughs> that we can measure uh, emissions on high forage diets in a confined setting and it translates pretty well 
to uh, the rest of their life cycle, mm. I think we can have a lot of confidence that maybe we don't have to do as much of the labor-intensive grazing research, um, mm-hmm. at least for the methane emissions piece. But what could we do, right, to, mm-hmm. to accelerate the process yeah. when we're feeding them in confinement? Mm-hmm. There, awesome. uh, a follow-up to JR's question, and uh, I always tell people how nice it's to see Sarah presenting something. I actually met Sarah probably like five years ago or something. When she came to give, and I was like fascinated taking pictures, and it's nice that today I I still Celebrity. I still her slides she has on my presentation. That's awesome. But uh, and I remember you talking. Uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. A lot of people who listen to us probably have an idea. But why methane? Why is that important? Uh, why Jar was asking that we are measuring methane? Why? Yeah. Why? Why is that important? Yeah, so methane, of course, is a greenhouse gas, right? So back to those different pillars of sustainability. Methane is relevant in a couple ways. Um, in animal science, we've been measuring methane from cattle for basically 100 years. Mm-hmm. And the first reason why we do it is because it's important for the energy use in the animal. Mm-hmm. Right? So basically, mm-hmm. methane is calories the animal's consumed and then is blowing off to the atmosphere. Um, so understanding that energy loss is important to understand the basics of animal metabolism basically, mm-hmm. and reducing methane has potential benefits of improving the efficiency of animals in terms of how much feed does it take for them to consume uh, to gain one pound of gain, mm-hmm. right, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the one thing with methane is it's important for animal nutrition in that piece. Methane is a greenhouse gas, though, and that's the mm-hmm. other really important thing and why we're doing all this research now is that if we can reduce methane emissions, can we reduce the climate impact of cattle production, mm-hmm. right? So methane is a gas that's more potent than CO2. Um, over a 100-year time frame, it's roughly 28 times more potent than carbon dioxide at trapping heat in the atmosphere. Um, but what's unique about methane is it's short-lived, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a very potent gas, has a large radiative forcing effect, if you will, when mm-hmm. it's first emitted, um, but it is short-lived. And so that short-lived piece is both a benefit and a challenge depending upon the emissions scenario that we find ourselves in, right? So it's always good to take a step back and say, you know, at the global level, methane emissions have been increasing, not just from cattle, but across all economic... Yeah, I was going to ask, what are the additional sources yeah, so of methane? methane? Yeah, methane yeah. is complex, right? We were talking about cattle, but mm-hmm. it comes from cattle. It comes from all ruminants, right? So that's one of those mm-hmm. caveats, too, is wild ruminants. Mm-hmm. Giraffes. Right? Giraffes, the world's largest ruminant. Giraffe, <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, so yeah, uh, termites, right? You mm-hmm. can think of termites as like yeah. the insect ruminant of the world, okay. right? Yeah. That's okay. what they do. Interesting. Um, yeah. Anyway, so the yeah termites, um, wetlands, um, basically any environment where you have like an oxygen-free environment and carbon material, mm-hmm. rice okay. paddies, wetlands inside the gut of ruminant animals, mm-hmm. manure, landfills, mm-hmm. anything like that mm-hmm. will generate methane gas. Mm-hmm. Got it. So cattle are one of many sources mm-hmm. when it comes to methane, and that's okay. one of the things that makes it complicated. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, if we take a step back, methane emissions have been increasing, and the really what matters is the concentration of methane in the air. So if we grab an air sample right now, it's like at 1.8, 1.9 parts per million mm-hmm. of methane and that's been increasing especially since um the industrial revolution right okay. so fossil fuels are another source mm-hmm. of methane so natural gas that we use is methane mm-hmm. um and so any leaks of that or leaks mm-hmm. of methane from coal mines all that stuff is 
sources of methane, mm-hmm. and it's all contributed to that increased concentration. Mm-hmm. But your so work focuses more specifically on the methane coming specifically from cattle systems and individual cattle, animals. From individual animals okay. from the front end of the animal. Exactly. Front end, okay. That's we're, not front doing, end. we're not doing the manure <laughs> emissions per se. So, um, And so, yeah, so exactly. So really when you zoom in, it's like, of course, cattle methane emissions matter, but they're one piece of the pie. Of a bigger, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. And cattle in the U.S., so there's only 6% of the world's cattle in the United States, right? So we can do our part. Okay. But we still have some responsibility picture. to address these issues, which is why this exists, right? So we yes. need to we need to work with the team here to try to identify yeah. what are the opportunities for sustainable you know interventions or sustainable solutions um, to be able to try to drive down that the, those numbers from the the U.S. cattle herd. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So we're all if everybody does their part, right? It adds up to make a difference. But of mm-hmm. course, U.S. Yeah. cattle are not necessarily like the driver of climate change per se. That makes sense. Do you see cattle as being part of the solution? I think that's a conversation that's been raising a lot in the past few years. That's an interesting question. Yeah. Uh, And and not on the opposite side. Yeah. So I think that's, that's back to that short lived nature of methane, right? So the, the, the flip side of that, of right, if you can reduce methane emissions pretty quickly, Mm -hmm. um, the concentration in the atmosphere should respond more quickly than say CO2, which is more long lived. Just meaning if we reduce, emissions across the board very strongly, the concentration of methane in the atmosphere should come down more quickly. Mm-hmm. And the reason I keep focusing on the concentration in the atmosphere is that's actually what contributes to warming, right? It's mm-hmm. the concentration in the atmosphere that has this radiant forcing or heat trapping potential, mm-hmm. right? And so um, you can just think about it because there's a faster rate of turnover, right? The, mm-hmm. yeah, it responds faster to what we do. And so that's to your question, Pedro, of like, can cattle be a part of the solution if we strongly reduce methane emissions, right, and do other things to try to um, make the, c- the climate contribution of cattle more neutral, right, then mm-hmm. yes, we can be a part of mm-hmm. addressing these emissions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so what you're saying is that any reduction is positive. Yeah, any is reduction, that? yeah, okay. and, and methane... Methane reductions <coughs> give you a bigger bang for your buck in the near term, if that makes sense. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, because it's a more potent, more potent greenhouse, greenhouse gas. gas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In the long run, you still, if we don't do anything about CO two emissions, and it. Yeah. Well, you were talking earlier. It's yeah. a big puzzle, and everything's yes. connected, right? And so, yes. Um, pull one string, what happens over here, kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. the other point Sarah mentioned, it's every time that animal is producing methane, is losing energy. Energy. So if potentially decrease that there's a potential to enhance performance right? yeah mm-hmm. exactly so that's that's what we're seeking right can mm-hmm. we find those solutions that strongly mitigate methane do it consistently and also potentially improve the productivity of animal systems right that that would be the win-win that we're seeking yeah that's great uh do you i can so <laughs> based on that like <laughs> what are what are the things that uh we talk about we circling around the research what are the Things that you see Agnex like accomplishing, Doctor Place accomplishing the next five years or ten years. What are? Yeah, good question. Where do you want to be in the next few years? Yeah, yeah. So I think um, because of our facility, we have a few different opportunities in front of us um, that are very unique, right? Mm-hmm. And so we can kind of think about it as we can, we will continue to do research on how the feed that we put into the animal affects rumen fermentation and affects animal performance and methane mm-hmm. emissions, right? So that's everything from 
how do we formulate diets differently? Do we process feed ingredients differently, right? Mm. Things that we know already, right? Mm. Um, for example, steam flaking grain reduces mm-hmm. methane emissions, right? And so verifying those things and looking at interactions between those type of interventions and new mm-hmm. interventions will be important for us. And included in that bucket of like what goes in the animal is like feed additives, right? Things mm-hmm. like that, new feed additives, testing those out. Um, and we are um, a place where we can do that research at scale and be objective, right? And so I think that's going to be a big part of our work going forward in the next five years is that what goes in the animal, how does that affect the picture, mm-hmm. right? And putting the economics and everything around that. Um, the second thing is just the what you could call the host genetics, the animals mm-hmm. themselves. How does that influence um, the emissions? So meaning, again, back to that conversation of low or high methane emitting animals, is there a heritable component? Actually, we know there's a heritable component of that. Mm -hmm. So what can we do to advance the U.S. cattle industry because we have such a large facility? Yep. Um, And I'm not a geneticist, but uh, the one thing I know is like, if we are going to do this type of work, we need to collect Mm -hmm. a lot of what are called phenotypes, right? We need to collect a lot of direct methane emission measurements from Mm -hmm. animals Mm -hmm. and combine that with their... um, their genetics, right, their genotypes, right? And Mm -hmm. then we can build a big enough database that we can create a genetic selection tool for the cattle industry. And for the genetics piece, are you working with folks here at Colorado State in animal science for that? Yeah, so we are working with our um, geneticists here. So Dr. Mark Enns, Dr. Scott Spidell. Mm -hmm. Um, We're also working, hopefully collaborating with geneticists across the country. Cool. That's awesome. um, Because this type of work definitely is national in scale and has potentially international implications, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. in the future. But, um, yeah, so that part is that part is really important. So basically, okay, what do we put in the animal, the makeup, the genetic makeup of the animal itself, and then also understanding the rumen microbiome, mm-hmm. right? Um, because at the end of the day, you know, f- for people that are listening to this, they may think, why would you focus on the host genetics, right? All that matters is actually the rumen, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which is true, right? The rumen is where this methane is actually getting produced. Um, that's always important to know, like, cattle are not – producing methane mm-hmm. the microbes within their rumen are producing yep. methane um interesting distinction yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah so um they're just a mammal like us they don't also that's don't why you produce. say host because they're hosting the microbes yeah that are, no. oh interesting okay yeah yeah interesting yes yes but yeah yeah it's host it's a it's a friendly relationship yeah right? exactly not a yeah, not a parasitic <laughs> no i'm kidding yeah <laughs> yeah i'm joking um <laughs> And, and that is what's cool about ruminants, right, is those microbes get, they get a whole bunch of services. They get a comfy place to live. You know, mm-hmm. the temperature mm-hmm. is perfectly regulated for them. The pH is regulated. Everything's great. Mm-hmm. They do have to pass out of the rumen and sacrifice themselves for the animal mm-hmm. to eat them eventually, basically, right? But yeah. otherwise, it's pretty good, right? Yeah, and the, exactly. And the animal gets a lot of it, too. Mm-hmm. But those microbes are also what we want to focus on in terms of... Driving down that methane emissions. Yeah. yeah driving down emission, yeah. methane emissions, yeah. excuse me. So yeah, driving down methane emissions, and there is another way to see that is increasing productivity in some. Oh, of interesting. Yeah, it, that's more yeah. on the animal side, right? Yeah, yeah. So we're interested in we're interested in total emissions that come from the industry, yeah. but we're also interested in emissions per unit of production, right? So emissions per unit of beef, for example, what we call emission mm-hmm. intensity, and so that's always where you know we could we could definitely do things that reduce methane emissions, but also negatively impact the productivity of animals, right? Mm-hmm. And we that's not a solution, right? Because mm-hmm. that's not helping from a food security standpoint and the nope. fact that we have increasing protein demand around the world, et cetera, right? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's that's always the balance there. 
No, that's great. Yeah. So I, f- I feel like we've done a really good job of picking your brain in terms of <laughs> your specialty and, and what you focus on. I'm kind of curious to hear from you about, you know, f- so for Agnex, you spend a lot of time on the road. So you go to a lot of conferences, you're on podcasts like this one, um, you know, you're on radio shows, a number of things. What is the, um, you know, w- what is one of the most common questions that you get from the audience in, um, in those environments? Yeah, so I think it... Um it depends, right? Sometimes with uh, sometimes more agricultural audiences, I still get questions about climate change and kind of the basics okay. of that. How that works, um, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, um, people that maybe still have some skepticism there. And so those are fairly common questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think there's different themes, and it depends on the audience, right, of um, sometimes folks are just like, well, isn't the solution that we should just eat less meat, Right. Sometimes those are the questions, right? In audiences that are less um, agricultural focused, but more just thinking about it. Well, that seems like a logical thing. Why do we do all this work, right? To mm-hmm. um, try to reduce emissions from the system, right? So, um, and what would be what would be your answer to that question? Why <laughs> why do we do all this work to reduce? Yeah, I think the I think the reality is, and based on all prior evidence, right, we're probably not going to have a major dietary shift across the world. So we're probably still going to have cattle still mm-hmm. gonna have one and a half billion cattle or maybe less in the future but mm-hmm. how do we produce high quality nutrition for people mm-hmm. and reduce emissions and then that also opens up to sometimes those other conversations that happen is beyond greenhouse gas emission why like why did we domesticate ruminants in the first place mm-hmm. what role do they fill and that's where um yes these critters produce methane emissions but they're also right using all these feed resources, these land bases that cannot be used for other things, mm-hmm. providing all these other cultural services, ecosystem services. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that, and even the, what you spoke about earlier with the economic piece in rural communities, Absolutely. right? So if what happens in that scenario, if you know, all the cattle are automatically erased or whatever, mm-hmm. um, what are the, the social implications of that? And then also the economic implications of that, right? Yeah. So it's yeah. a, again, with the pull the strings, see what happens here kind of thing. Yes. It's an interconnected web. Right. And so I think that's always, um, sometimes the, the non-agricultural audiences, one of the key messages I try to bring up for folks is that it's not either or right. Mm-hmm. In terms mm-hmm. of plant agriculture, animal agriculture, right, to that diet question, Mm -hmm. right? Most people on planet Earth are omnivores, Mm -hmm. and our food system is omnivorous. And if we think about natural ecosystems, they also are multiple trophic levels, meaning they have animals, they have plants, Mm -hmm. microbes, right, all working together. And Mm so our agricultural systems kind of need that as well, right, in terms of those Mm -hmm. multiple levels and those interactions. And it's all about really recycling nutrients and energy through the system mm-hmm. so yeah interesting okay yeah yeah and I'm, I'm assuming those are the questions that you wish people were asking like what is the ideal question to yeah. ask yeah in, the, in yeah. the presentation is yeah yeah how how we can I, i'm not sure if this is the right I, i'm saying this again how we can be not solution but how can we live together in this uh, environment that everyone is contributing to, to yeah. the sustainability in general mm-hmm. right but uh, going going to more like things that that we we are learning from you today, and uh, there is a question that I like to ask is on, the, on your professional and personal career, whatever. What is something that you know today that you wish you knew ten years ago when you were finishing school, for example? Mm. Interesting. That's a good question. <laughs> hmm. Um. 
I think probably it would be helpful to know and have all the industry insights that I have now, right? And like I discussed before of having all those different facets of knowing and understanding how decisions get made. Because I think that would help me be more successful right off the bat in terms of how do you communicate with people in a mm-hmm. way that's relevant to them. Mm-hmm. No, I was thinking to say it sounds bad to get them to do what you want them to do. But anyways, <laughs> no, to actually to actually make a difference, right? And to communicate effectively. Yeah. I think that's the main thing that I've learned Maybe over it's time. to get them to understand what you're trying to put out there, right? <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> yes. No, and I think that's I think that's the main thing. I think it's learning um, by doing in terms of communication across multiple um, interactions of people that have agriculture backgrounds, no agriculture backgrounds, because um, I think those are the things that you just gain through life experience in terms yeah. of having those conversations with people mm-hmm. and learning and and filing away each time something works or doesn't work. Of like, oh, okay, this is this makes sense. Just like basically human behavior. How do you actually Communicate so with people effectively. Would you tell younger Sarah ten years ago to focus a little bit study human behavior or something? I, or I mean, maybe, maybe, or take even more um, communications classes because uh-huh. I did I did do a nice like a uh, organizational communications course when I was an undergrad, and I probably should have taken more communications or maybe another one uh, when I was in grad school or something. Kind of oh. think through that. Of if that's coming from you who communicates really well, I think that's <laughs> a, a pretty. I mean, good you're doing great on the podcast, so yeah. I think it worked Thank out. Thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> that's a pretty good advice. Awesome. So uh, yeah. <laughs> Like taking more, I think yeah. communication is a key piece, and we have a good communication team here, uh, and that Dude. always likes to makes you look really good, <laughs> yeah. Even uh, if you're not good at it, no. Oh gosh, well. <laughs> okay. but that's a that's a pretty good advice. Yeah, yeah. So do you like? Okay, so I'll keep on this. So I guess I I'm asking know. the career questions. Okay. <laughs> uh, so uh, on on the same line, like you mentioned, that there are a lot of things you learn while you were doing and another way to learn things is when people give you some guidance a mentorship how how important do you think was were those mentorship in your career and how would you advise a student or someone who is listening to us to seek for mentorship i mean our our students are often looking for you there is a good pretty good mentor but Mm -hmm. how how important were those people in your career and were you using like good thing you mentioned you went and you talked to Frank mm-hmm. right after presentation mm-hmm. but was that intention or just happened naturally yeah so I'm trying to think through that that was a while ago right I think actually my brother was at the same conference and mm-hmm. like, that stuff's interesting well you should go talk to him you know so like uh-huh. one is even like in your family yeah. right of pushing you outside of your comfort zone and I think that's the big thing for me is like I'm a very introverted person. So mm-hmm. I think it's always, yes, forcing yourself to have those conversations, to seek out those people that um, you admire. And they may not be in your disciplinary field, right? They exactly. may be outside of um, what you're focused on. Because um, I, I can think of, you know, a lot of professors at, say, UC Davis that are kind of outside of my disciplinary field that I thought were excellent. Mm-hmm. scientists just excellent people and just you know having those conversations with them learning from them hearing from what they do how they how they focus on things and the same thing mm-hmm. going throughout my career you can learn from everybody right when you yep. have those those conversations and hearing about people's life and how they navigate things um yeah i think that's par- that part's really important and, and mainly the whole like pushing yourself to get outside of comfort your comfort zone, zone. Yeah. yeah yeah and that inspires me to ask pedro a question 
Okay. So earlier you mentioned, yes, this happened to me last episode, <laughs> so now it's going to happen to you. I'm, <laughs> I'm curious to know, Pedro, um, you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that you met Sarah like five years ago. Yeah. And you also mentioned that maybe you were like just kind of you know, fanboying over her. there with <laughs> yeah. pictures and all kinds of stuff. So, um, you know, based on what Sarah has described in terms of mentorship, what's it like for you to be sitting across the table now with someone who you were admiring um, in your professional career and now as your colleague? That's pretty cool. I, that that's an interesting question. I was even, I mean, I've joked this. I can. This is probably public. Like when I was applying for this job, there was only one person that I didn't want to compete with. <laughs> I'm guessing it's this one. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I I I think I've told this to our boss, and and I, that was Sarah because I knew like she's a person that I, that I admire the way that she communicates. It's it's pretty cool. I mean, I keep bothering her quite often, going to her office and asking her questions. So. Uh, to me, it's, it's it's pretty good. I mean, it's it's a pleasure, and and I learn every day. Not only the good thing about Sarah, and and I think one of the interesting things we are talking about career. She make hard things become natural, and I don't Tell know me how. More about that. I don't I don't know how. I mean, things just her, like I'm I'm this explosive person. Like I I move a lot. I talk like uh-huh. even though it's sometimes I come down, but she's so peaceful and. Yeah. And she calm, talks cool, calm. collected. I I don't know how she does that, but uh, I really admire that characteristic that she has and ability and, and how to handle problems. That's pretty cool. And and to awesome. me, it's 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 not. I mean, I awesome. I feel like I'm a a postdoc student <laughs> and, and learning <laughs> because I do. It, it's been it's been pretty cool, and I learn not only on the cattle side, but a lot on this mentorship and how yeah. she guides students, she patient. And and I think that's a probably good, like, the good thing about it, we can complement a lot of things in our group. Mm-hmm. And, and that's pretty cool. I see her as an example and as a person to guide that's bringing uh, knowledge from the industry, from all of her past career. And I, I've i said this already, but if someone is listening to us and have the opportunity to go to one of Sarah's talks, don't miss that opportunity. I, I always learn when I when I go out there. That's wow. an amazing answer. Thank <laughs> you. Wow. Okay. Very flattered. Yeah. yeah. That's very nice. Yeah. <laughs> that's oh, awesome. yeah. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> yeah, I know. You did great. Awesome yeah. job. Um, so I guess, yeah, as we start to wrap up, um, any final questions from you? No, I, I think... One of the personal questions, maybe? I think, it, like, Sarah pretty, pretty much answered everything, I think. Uh, yeah, the questions I was pretty curious to know, like, the difference between industry and academia, how she thinks, and, and I think she answered that pretty well. We, we can we can wrap up now. Okay, great. We're going to ask you one more, and then we'll kind of right. close out. So, um, you know, you've traveled a lot, and so what's your favorite place to visit? I mean, you can do U.S., or you can do international, your choice. Um, yeah, favorite place that you've ever visited. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's hard. And you've traveled a lot, so you've, yeah. you have take a minute if you need to. Yeah. Um, mm. And you can define favorite how you want. Yeah. I think the most, some of the more interesting places I've been is just I briefly went to kind of East Asia. I went to Hong Kong. I went to Seoul. And I think that was um, interesting just of like the enormity of the population that's there. Mm -hmm. And just thinking about, you know, we talk about uh, we need to feed more people and there are more consumers and everything else. And I think we can very often get stuck in our U.S.-centric bubble. I know I definitely can, right? Like I'm mm-hmm. an American that lived within 50-mile mm-hmm. radius of my where birthplace, right, for the mm-hmm. first 20 years of my life. So 
very U.S. focused, mm-hmm. and so I think any of those operation, any of those opportunities where I've gotten outside of the U.S. to me are the most instructive of just to observe and learn um, and realize and be humbled, right? Of how much there is out there in the world, how much you don't know, um, and just all those larger forces that are actually driving, you know, everything from the global economy and has ripple effects down to things like cattle production in the U.S. and what we're doing here. That's so great answer. Yeah, sir. You because of like what what do you what do you do for fun outside of the work? Like we've been <laughs> talking about work, and you mentioned about the travel. But what what do you do? What do you like to do outside of of work? Yeah, yeah. So I like being outside. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I enjoy biking when I can. I like mm-hmm. biking or hiking. Um, and then I'm a pretty terrible guitar player, but I like that too, and I like music. Oh, right? I didn't know so, that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so I enjoy that stuff as well. So things that are not science-related, like doing physical activity or doing something that's using another part of my brain is usually what I like to do when I'm not. What is your on. favorite band? Like what type of Ooh. music Ooh, wow, do you like to play? Or a deep question. Mm, or I like rock music, so I'm mm-hmm. more of like an alternative rock kind of person. But yeah, so um, yeah, in terms of playing music... Oh, it kind of depends, right? Everything from, like, the Arctic Monkeys <laughs> to... <laughs> so cool. Yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah, little Chris Isaac. I don't know. Just kind of a bunch of stuff, yeah. It's the next meeting that we do with our group, Sarah's... It's Serenade. And when I say it's not good, I mean it's really, it's not good. The doctor so plays Serenade. Uh, no. Diego also plays <laughs> something. We can have a... Okay. We're going to have an yeah. ag next band. Yeah. Yeah. Jam, jam band jam session. Band. <laughs> it's going to be the next, the third episode. Dang. Uh, all right. Well, thank you, Dr. Place, for joining us today. How can people follow you on social media or get a hold of you if they need to? Yeah. Yeah. Well, always email, which is questionable if I'll get back to you. I will. <laughs> um, but <laughs> on social media, I am on Twitter okay. um, at Dr. S. Place. Um, so, yeah, I okay. use that one really, primarily. Really good social media to follow. Like, yeah. I've met a lot of people who know Sarah from her Twitter. Me yeah. too. Yeah. She posts a lot of good, good things. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So don't cool. miss the opportunity to follow Dr. S. Place. That's right. And if That's you're right. following, follow us, follow Ag Next. We've got um, social media uh, on Facebook. We have um, Twitter as well as um, LinkedIn. So we would um, just love to have you follow in addition to if you want to follow Dr. Place too, that'd be great. Um, but yeah, thanks for joining us. We're always excited to tell you about what's next from Ag Next. Uh-huh.